Deep Down, Chapter 41, Dawn. The morning sun opened my eyes, my bones hurt. I was laying down over Ramon, with my face on his shoulder, and even though I felt like I had slept over a rock, I got up more tired than before the sleep. The neck all twisted, and I don't know more because I didn't feel nothing, not the legs, nor the rest. He was sleeping. He looked quiet and happy. Too quiet. For a few seconds in that pleasant morning, I was panic-stricken. And what if I had slept over a dead body? Yes, I might be selfish, but at least sincere. That was the first thing I thought. I know I should think. For God's sakes, don't let him be dead. Which also thought afterwards. The first thing was the revolting feeling of being over and off piece pork fat. But in my defense, I must say, it lasted a few thousands of a second. Just little thousands. When I reacted after that little thousands of a second, I leaned my ear over his chest and it beat. With a little heart murmur, I guessed. But it made boom, 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 as a clock. And he was bleeding. The air went in and out of his chest harmonically. And the pound, that brewer pound, also did. More loud than harmonic, but it did. And I was so concentrated looking at that whale that came out of the horizon blue line when he woke up. The calmness of his face vanished as he opened the eyes and proceeded to moans, which consoled me. Not only I was getting old. He sat up and looked around. And the good? He asked, surprised. I hadn't even noticed it. I also looked around and the forest had gone. There were some trees left more or less the same there were at the former garden. I didn't even try to pretend I knew it. I shrugged my shoulders and accepted the good disappearance as an universal truth, and that's that. They may be as those flowers they only flower by night, I said. He looked at me not very convinced. It seemed my explanation hadn't been enough for him, but he didn't say anything. He waited for a few minutes and then got up, went down to the water to wash his face. I'd rather wait to get into the water completely. The tide was high and the only chance to get the dry land was swimming. And since he realized, he took it easier. We sat down for a while, waiting for him to gather his strength to swim the two meters to the water's edge. They even 
were less than two because the tide was getting lower in the time he took to get ready. In dry land, I asked him what we were going to do. He wasn't surprised I had included myself in the question. I imagined he imagined I was not willing to give in more than those millions of euros they had just stolen from me. Are we going to talk to your civil servant's accomplice? I asked. Sure, he said at the monthly. While we were walking, he found the counselor talking half in code. It seemed he needed her permission to step forward. When he hung up, he looked calm and confident. Let's see, Siana, seriously, do we trust each other? He asked it seriously. I doubt it. He was talking serious, and I seriously doubt it. Well, I didn't want to mean that. I actually wanted to mean if I can trust you. He asked also serious. So serious he was talking, I got the jiggles. Well, it doesn't matter. He said walking fast and speaking to himself. You are the only thing I had, so I had to put up with you. Anyway, you are the only one who knows the whole story, at least the whole story I know. I looked at him condescending. Did I know the whole story? The whole story he knew. Maybe I did, but at that stage it was hard to believe. He made a pair of calls more and we went to have breakfast. We stood there until he received a text, and then we left. We went to an open ground, not to have a roll in the hay. No longer, another car arrived and stopped next to his. From it got down a grey-haired man, with poor devil look and feel-sorry eyes. Ramon got out too and invited me to go with him. Of course I did. I wanted to find out everything about the business. What's up? Ramon said to the unknown man. Nothing, the other man said. Don't you say nothing, Ramon said. Well, you'll say, the other man said. I almost went back to the car because I was about to lose control. What's up? Nothing. Don't you say nothing? Well, you'll say. What kind of conversation was that? Let's see, Arjimiro. Where are the deeds? Ramon asked at last. With the rest of the briefcases. You just know it. Arjimiro replied. There, Ramon got serious. He shouted at him in the way he did when he got mad. And the other got much more poor devil's face. I almost felt sorry for him, not Ramon. Ramon punched the car's bonnet, the so-called Archimiro's car, not his, of course. The poor man jumped backwards, fearing he was the next. I swore blind. At a fine time, I was going to be here. He said, pretending to be sincere. Ramon knew a lot about it. He saw through him immediately. Ramon told him, he was there, 
because he had to be there to make the movement, and also told Argemiro not to infuriate him. The man looked down, and when he looked up again, he told Ramon he didn't know more about the deeds, that he had put them into one of the briefcases he used to hide the money, that he made a mistake, that he was a poor, scattered brain, that he was half-wit and kept on with a string of self-compassion arguments that Ramon listened, breathing patience. I was staring at them with curiosity. I felt sorry for the man. I didn't think Ramon was wrong, but there was a chance. Ramon raised his hand again, to hit the bonnet I hoped, because I didn't feel like meeting a violent Ramon. But Arjimiro, that might know him better than me, or might have something to hide, was afraid. No, you are right, no, I have them, I have them, he said, covering his face with his hands on the defensive they could say in CSI.